Hey there, I'm your host, T.G. Brandfault, and you are listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast, where we try to bring you actionable information and normalize cannabis through the stories of Gondrepreneurs, activists, and industry stakeholders. Today, I'm actually joined in studio by Tim Fair. He's the owner of Vermont's first cannabis law practice, Vermont Cannabis Solutions. Uh, just before we get started, we got to note that nothing that uh, Mr. Fair says should be considered legal advice. So, you know, don't say, well... Tim Fair said on the Gospreneur podcast that this was totally cool um, because that's not going to hold up in court. Um, how you doing this afternoon, man? Thank you, TJ. <laughs> um, so tell me about yourself, man. How'd you end up in the cannabis space? Uh, well, you know, at a very early age, I realized that um, I like cannabis <laughs> and as a teenager growing up, seeing all the messages, all of the propaganda, the dare, all of the anti-drug propaganda we were fed, I started seeing a disconnect. What I was experiencing and what I was hearing were two different stories. Um, as I got older, I started realizing that everything that we were taught wasn't necessarily true. And in that line of reasoning, I went ahead and tried to start a chapter in Normal in my very first community college in Long Island, Nassau Community College when I was 17. Didn't work out so well. Um, but ever since that point, I've always been focused on drug policy reform, uh, specifically cannabis reform. So, you know, how, how long have you been... Uh, you know, working with cannabis cases, uh, you know, from a from a criminal level? Well, I graduated law school in 2012. Um, lucky enough to pass my bar on the first attempt. Got my first legal job as an attorney in 2013, um, but didn't really start learning cannabis law until the last two years. I would say around 2016, I started pretty in-depthly studying the subject. And I was taking my first cannabis clients about six months ago. So, so what's been your experience uh, as, as an attorney defending cannabis cases in Vermont? Uh, did you, did, you know, the, I guess what I want to ask you is, did you notice racial disparities in these arrests and, and how did prosecutors approach such cases? A little bit of background before I can fully answer that. Um, we have a unique system here in Vermont. We have 14 counties, and each county has its own elected state's attorney. So when we're talking about racial disparities, you have to talk about it in terms of county as opposed to state, because some counties, much better with the issue. Other counties, horrible with it. Um, and another exacerbating factor has been the surge in opiates, um, cocaine, crack cocaine that come in from out of state. And that has created a sense of, I don't want to say racism amongst law enforcement, but definitely focuses their attention on brown and black people. So, um, you know, how do, how do prosecutors sort of approach these cases? Are, there's decriminalization. We just, you know, sort of passed legalization, which hasn't taken effect yet. Um, but are, pro are prosecutors still aggressive, even with decriminalization? You have to talk about individual prosecutors, individual states attorneys. For example, in Chittenden County, where Burlington is located, the state's attorney's office, um, 
does not pursue cannabis cases. Uh, they've got bigger, better things to do. There is an understanding that in the spectrum of illegal activities, cannabis use is um, pretty low as you get. However, I've had a client in Essex County, uh, Vermont, which who was charged with a felony offense for 2.1 ounces. Uh, in Bennington County, for example, the state's attorney has come out publicly with her opinion that cannabis is a dangerous drug. It's a gateway drug. And the only way to deal with it is strict law enforcement. And law enforcement, you know, when, when legalization happened, one of the things that, um, you know, we saw was the police chiefs association or whatever, whatever it actually is. Uh, you know, they were talking about what they wanted to see in the legalization law. And one of the things that they've really been pushing for, and I think this goes back even a little before legalization was, uh, rolling out this oral swab test to test for cannabis impairment or intoxication. Um, so first, what are sort of the baseline problems, if there are any, which we're going to assume that they are, uh, with this oral swab test? I, I baseline problems, the entire thing is a problem. Um, the entire concept of having to worry about drug driving and accurate tests is ridiculous. It's just a issue that is used by prohibitionists to stoke fear, to get the average citizen against legalization. I'll try to keep this short, but when I talk about drug driving, I need to talk about DUI. DUI is an example of a pre-crime. And what I mean by that is you're taking two legal activities, drinking alcohol, and driving a car, putting them together and making it a crime. Not because anyone has been injured or anyone's been hurt, but because we as a society have accepted the fact that the risk, the risk that is created by operating a motor vehicle under the influence of alcohol is so high that we are going to make it a crime because of what might happen, because you might be involved in an accident, because you might cause injury to yourself or others. And that risk is so greatly elevated, we have made it a crime. Now let's look at cannabis use. Because we have become so used to the idea of DUI and testing for alcohol and legal limits, Humans like patterns. They like things to make sense. So therefore, there is this inherent belief that cannabis use will result in the exact same thing as alcohol use when behind the wheel of a car. It's not true. It's simply not true. The most recent National Highway Safety Administration uh, study that I've seen has shown, I believe, a 5% increase um, in the likelihood of a serious auto accident with moderate cannabis use. That's very subjective. What's moderate cannabis use? But the point being that the human functions that cannabis impairs is very are very different from the functions that alcohol impairs. Number one being the understanding of self, 
when somebody is intoxicated on alcohol, they think they can drive real well. <laughs> I can drive. I can make it there. I'm the best driver in the world. <laughs> when somebody is consuming cannabis, they don't think they can drive well. They don't think they can walk well. They say, you know what? I'm going to sit right here on this couch for a little bit. The functioning that is affected by cannabis use is not the same as alcohol. We don't need to make a new pre-crime. We don't need to be able to test people to see if they're impaired. If they're impaired, they will drive outside of the law. They will commit violations. They will swerve. They will drive under the speed limit. They will run a stop sign. Law enforcement can observe that, pull them over, and arrest them. Put them through the DRE or drug recognition expert protocol and prosecute them. End of story. We don't have such a high level of risk to warrant or necessitate some sort of test to establish impairment when there are no signs of impairment. So one of the things that that they talk about in in the literature that that we saw, you know, when we were on the Capitol uh, during the debate, um, are these per se intoxication standards? Can you explain what those per se intoxication standards mean, and and do they differ from the current alcohol laws? So they're designed to mimic the current alcohol laws. Um, we like legal limits. Above this, guilty. Below this, innocent. It's not actually how it works, um, but that's how most people accept it to work. Um, and they like that consistency. So it's a very comforting idea to have, if you have over five nanograms of a THC metabolite in your system, you're above a per se limit. Doesn't work. It doesn't work because cannabis is not alcohol. People metabolize drugs differently. They metabolize cannabis differently. Metabolites can stay in the human body in different levels for different amounts of time. It's a fat-soluble compound, therefore it can stay in the fat cells much longer than alcohol. And the presence of metabolites and the, the presence of whatever they're testing for does not correlate to impairment on any level. So one person with five nanograms could be at a very, very different functional state than somebody else with the exact same amount. So uh, I want to talk to you more about Vermont policy, uh, specifically this idea uh, that, you know, we sort of talked about when we first met this decriminalization versus legalization premise. Uh, before we do that, we got to take a break. This is the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm T.G. Brandfall. If you are looking for a job in the rapidly growing and highly competitive cannabis industry, Gontrepreneur.com is the place to look. Visit the Gontrepreneur job board today to browse current openings with cannabis companies throughout the United States, from entry-level bud tender positions to executive-level career opportunities. You can also create a profile and upload your resume to be discovered by cannabis recruiters. Visit our job board at jobs.gontrepreneur.com to create your profile today. If you are a business owner, you can post your job openings for as little as $25 on our job board to reach the largest and most engaged audience of cannabis professionals on the web. 
Companies who are listed in the Gondrepreneur Business Directory are eligible for free job listings. If you are already signed up, contact us today via the website or send us an email at grow at gondrepreneur.com to activate your unique coupon. Hey, welcome back to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, T.G. Brandfold, here with Tim Fair. He's the owner of Vermont's first cannabis law practice of Vermont Cannabis Solutions and a uh, guy I really like talking to uh, since I've got to Vermont. Um, so when we first met, uh, we were in the Capitol. It was during the legalization law, and we sort of got to talking about decriminalization versus legalization. Um Vermont's legalization law has been criticized by some as being, you know, a more broad decriminalization rather than legalization because there is no uh, tax and regulate provisions under under the laws passed and signed by Governor Scott. Um, despite, you know, and they make this argument despite Vermont decri- actually decriminalizing cannabis possession, you know, five years ago. Um, so for, for those people who make that argument, who criticize this law as as not being full legalization, which, I mean, we, we could talk about the nuances of full legalization, but we, let's not do that. Um, how, how does this, this sort of legalization differ from decriminalization? Well, you're certainly right about it not being full legalization. <laughs> um, any sort of regulation is not full legalization. Um, this is a step. And honestly, it's more of a psychological step as far as practicality, how this is going to impact your average citizen's life. Not much. Those who choose to consume cannabis do so now. Those who choose not to consume cannabis don't. Um, What this is going to do is act as a psychological milestone for the industry as a whole. It's going to serve to help kill the stigma, normalization, um, getting the people who still believe the propaganda that this is a dangerous drug, an opportunity to see that, no, in fact, it's not. Um, How it's actually going to play out as far as legality, that's a great question. Um, After legalization, will the smell of cannabis still be sufficient for law enforcement to apply for warrant, to search a vehicle, to search a home? Um, With the reasoning being, well, maybe it's over the legal amount and therefore it might be a crime. Um, With decriminalization, the legislature specifically stated that decriminalization did not change the fact that cannabis was contraband. Even though it was no longer a criminal offense, it was a civil violation and still provided probable cause for law enforcement to then apply for a warrant, to search a vehicle, to search a person, to search a home. That I'm hoping will change. Um, we've seen a lot more positive signs from the judiciary in Massachusetts. They've taken a much more liberal approach to it than the Vermont Supreme Court. Um, but as far as actual practical changes, Not a lot. Um, It's a step, though, and it's an important step because we wouldn't be getting to tax and reg without it. And that's where we're eventually heading. So you've, uh, you know, so in Vermont, you know, so now now we're sort of entering a a whole new era, you know, come July 1st. 
you know, we, we, but we already have a small hemp industry, uh, very CBD focused. Um, you know, so, you know, in your role as, as a cannabis consultant, you know, this is a smaller industry than other States. Um, and we're not talking about tax and reg right now. Um, so what, what does a cannabis consultant in Vermont do? You know, what do you do, um, working within this industry and looking forward, uh, to, to, you know, are you already looking forward to tax and reg? <laughs> a couple of questions rolled in there. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> no doubt. I'll say that for the last year, a majority of what I've been doing is learning and lobbying. Um, learning about much about the industry as I possibly can, um, learning about the area of laws in cannabis law that I have not practiced for the last five years, getting myself up to speed, uh, and spending a lot of time in Montpelier, working with uh, a lot of really, really good people and advocates moving this agenda forward, um, trying to talk to legislators, trying to dissuade some of the apprehensions to maybe dispel some of the myths. Um, that's what I've been doing for the last year. Um, right now, we are in an interesting place. Um, Vermont is unbelievably supportive of the hemp industry. Uh, the legislature was went as far as to put a signing statement into the statute reaffirming their support for the hemp industry. Um, I, I'm trying to think of the exact number. I don't know if it's 14 or 17 states that allow hemp growing at this point. Um, and Vermont by far is the least regulated. $25 a year. You fill out a one page form, you get your card and you can grow hemp, um, which is fantastic. I mean, we're an agricultural economy here in Vermont. And this is the beginning of what I believe to be the uh, rejuvenation of that economy. Are you are, like when you when you're talking to people right now who are in the hemp industry, um, are there a lot of questions, you know, right now, even, you know, several months before legalization takes effect and, and possibly years before tax and reg? Are people already sort of, you know, trying to figure out what that industry could look like? And, 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 and the other thing is, 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 do you think that it's going to be more representative? Uh, it's going to be similar to the hemp industry that we have here, which is primarily small farmers. That's a great question. Um, and I think we have to wait and see, um, regulations for uh, Vermont's taxed and regulated system are going to be coming out this year. Um, there's definitely a very, very strong, desire to keep this as local as possible to keep things on the vermont scale and one of the things about the cannabis industry right now is that it is extremely state specific so it would be very difficult for somebody from out of state to come into Vermont, um, let's say a large scale operation out of Colorado. They may know the Colorado regulations very well. They may know how to function and run their business under the Colorado regulations. They won't know anything about Vermont. They won't know anything about the Vermont regulations. So that factor helps keep it local. Um, I'm hoping that we are going to maintain accessibility for the average Vermonter. That's what Vermont Cannabis Solutions is about. We're not taking out of state clients. We're working with Vermont small businesses and entrepreneurs um, who want to get involved in this industry. 
Whether the legislature will help that or hinder it, we have yet to see. So speaking of the the legislature, um, I mean, this is the first in the nation to to pass legalization, you know, via the legislature. Um, and it was kind of cool to be here when that happened. Um, but how long do you, th- you know, you spent a lot, of, lot more time in Montpelier than I have. <laughs> how long do you think the legislature is going to let this gray market exist? I mean, you know, we, we both hear things, you know, about, about donations and, and, you know, these things that are already happening in Massachusetts and, and Massachusetts to their credit is allowing it, you know, to go, go on pretty much in the open. How long do you think that's going to jive with the legislature just watching the money fall out of their pockets? <laughs> you know, there's two ways they can go. Um, the gifting, the gifting cannabis economy. Um, we see it in DC. We see it in Maine. We're seeing it develop in Massachusetts. This is a function of going halfway legalization without a taxed and regulated system. Um, I was having an email exchange with a former professor of mine at Vermont law school the other day. And when you look at the statutes in Vermont, gifting is allowed. Gifting is allowed. The statutes specifically state that it is illegal to sell quantities of cannabis under one ounce. But when you talk about distribution, it's only addressed in quantities above one ounce. There's noticeably lack of any mention of prohibition of distribution under an ounce, meaning you can give away up to an ounce perfectly legally. What does that lead to? That leads to the $100 Snickers bar that comes with the free quarter ounce. Or in D.C., the juice bars that serve $50 glasses of orange juice with a free eighth. Um, it's, it's runarounds. It's loopholes. It's it's entrepreneurs looking at the system and figuring out how they can move forward with the framework as it is. I believe this is not going to last long. (laughs) The two options the legislature has is a, they can go back and try to reconvene and pass a bill to close the loophole, which is to take a whole session and, or they can establish tax and regulation. This year, we will most likely be seeing Canada come online with its recreational program. We'll be seeing Massachusetts come online, Maine, hopefully after LePage gets out, we'll be using. People will be actually seeing functioning, well-functioning cannabis systems. And once they're seeing it with their own eyes, once they're seeing all the gloom and doom predictions of the prohibitionists are not coming true, the sky is not falling, six-year-olds aren't running around with joints, what they will see is a good functioning systems that are generating significant tax revenue. Um, And I think when people see that, tax and reg is inevitable. I mean, it's, 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 it's coming. Yeah. I mean, so, so briefly, I just want to, I just want to talk to you very briefly. Um, you know, just be, before the, the, before we, we started recording, we were, we were looking at that lawsuit that's happening on a federal level. I mean, mm-hmm. at, at some point, right? Like the, the crest has got to come. I mean, New England is basically decriminalized throughout. Uh, Vermont's, all of Vermont's borders say for New Hampshire, right? No, in New York. Sorry. My bad. Mm-hmm. But I mean, New York, you look at New York, what do they got? Pennsylvania? That's it. Like Jersey's Jersey's on its way. Um, 
So I just want to kind of, you know, just kind of point out like what we're looking at from from our perspective in Vermont, you know. Jersey is the East Coast team. Jersey is the East Coast team. Once Jersey goes, New York will go. And once New York goes, you know, there we got the East Coast. Um, you know, for me, it was California legalizing recreational. That was the point for me where I fully believe that the toothpaste can't be put back in the tube. The genie ain't getting back in the bottle. No matter what we see from the federal government, once California, um, <laughs> estimated six, seven billion dollar a year industry, which, and that's which in the, the whole industry did nine billion last year. <laughs> I think it's the number. Yeah, with a B. Um, that that to me was the point of no return. Um, but the federal government goes kicking and screaming. Uh, it's very difficult to get anything done under the best of circumstances in Washington and <laughs> where we find ourselves now, I'll just say are not the best of circumstances. So that's why another kind of benefit of the state specific nature of this industry is that it's allowed the states to really kind of take it and run with it on their own. Um, yes. Inevitability. That's a great word. The industry is inevitable. How long it's going to take, how long we have the prohibitionists kicking and screaming, uh, that's um, impossible to tell right now. (laughs) So I want to get your... you know, your advice for current operators and, and other people, uh, you know, within Vermont's market. Uh, before we do that, we got to take a last break. This is Gontrepreneur.com podcast of TG Brandfall. At Gontrepreneur, we have heard from dozens of cannabis business owners who have encountered the issue of canna bias, which is when a mainstream business, whether a landlord, bank, or some other provider of vital business services, refuses to do business with them simply because of their association with cannabis. We have even heard stories of businesses being unable to provide health and life insurance for their employees because the insurance providers were too afraid to work with them. We believe that this fear is totally unreasonable and that cannabis business owners deserve access to the same services and resources that other businesses are afforded, that they should be able to hire consultation to help them follow the letter of the law in their business endeavors, and that they should be able to provide employee benefits without needing to compromise on the quality of coverage they can offer. This is why we created the Gontrepreneur.com Business Service Directory, a resource for cannabis professionals to find and connect with service providers who are cannabis friendly and who are actively seeking cannabis industry clients. If you are considering hiring a business consultant, lawyer, accountant, web designer, or any other ancillary service for your business, go to Gontrepreneur.com businesses to browse hundreds of agencies, firms, and organizations who support cannabis legalization and who want to help you grow your business. With so many options to choose from in each service category, you will be able to browse company profiles and do research on multiple companies in advance so you can find the provider who is the best fit for your particular need. Our business service directory is intended to be a useful and well-maintained resource, which is why we individually vet each listing that is submitted. If you are a business service provider who wants to work with cannabis clients, you may be a good fit for our service directory. Go to gondrepreneur.com slash businesses to create your profile and start connecting with cannabis entrepreneurs today. Hey, welcome back to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, TG Brandfault, here with Tim Fair, owner of Vermont's first cannabis law practice, Vermont Cannabis Solutions, and uh, kindred spirit, especially when it comes to the sole federal government issue. Um, so I wanted to ask you, you know, your advice for, for current operators, 
in Vermont. Um, you know, that's what you focus on. That's where we are. Um, do you think that those who are focused on hemp right now have a slight head start as we inch towards tax and reg? Absolutely. I mean, there's no question about it. Um, they're getting the experience in the industry. They're getting the experience, whether it's growing the crop, whether it's extracting, whether it's selling, whatever people are doing, they're getting that experience now. Um, and as far as non-hemp cannabis, higher THC level cannabis, um, that's limited really right now to our medical dispensaries. The average entrepreneur is not having that opportunity. So the people right now who are in the hemp and CBD, yeah, yeah, they're getting a head start. Um, the question is, are they all going to want to transition into cannabis? Some yes, some no. Um, but that doesn't mean that there aren't steps that can be taken right now for those who want to get into the legal cannabis market, whether it's recreational or medicinal. And, you know, earlier you said that, that you think it's going to be harder for out-of-state people to enter the Vermont market. You know, if people wanted to start looking at that market now, you know, what would advice be for those who are or might be interested in, you know, entering Vermont's market when it, when it starts to become established? You mean people from out-of-state who yeah, might want yeah. to come in? Learn the Vermont way. Learn Vermont. It's, it's tough. I mean, you know, I, neither one of us are from Vermont. No, no, absolutely. I mean, growing up in New York City <laughs> blew my mind here. Um, but Vermont is a lot more about who you are. It's about face-to-face -face connections. It's about knowing people. And in order to succeed in the Vermont market, especially at this point in time, um, who you know, the impression you've made on people, the reputation that you have within the cannabis community here in the state, that is going to carry a lot more weight than what you've done somewhere else or how much money you may have. Um, it really comes down to knowing each other. And if somebody from out of state had a real serious interest in coming into Vermont, come to Vermont. <laughs> come to some events, come to some lobbying events, meet people in the community. We're a small state, we're a relatively small community, and um, it's a very accepting. The thing people don't want to do is just simply come in and try to buy their way into the industry. Um, that's just not really going to work here in Vermont. And, you know, you've had your own interesting path, uh, you know, to sitting in this chair talking about cannabis, uh, you know, lawyer. Um, what's what's your advice for other entrepreneurs who are seeking to enter the cannabis space? Just people who may not be in this industry now. Know why you want to get into the industry. Um, if the answer is because I think I'm going to make a bunch of money. Like another industry, <laughs> um, you know, know why you want to get into it. Once you've kind of figured out why you want to get into it, my next piece of advice is learn the industry. It's not simply about hanging around and getting stoned all day and growing some pot. And, you know, this is a growing industry. Um, when you factor in this CBD, industrial hemp, all of the uses, um, you know, the sitting around getting stoned, but a piece of the pie, you know, 
but there's a lot more to the industry than that. The nuances of the industry, what has happened over the last five years in Colorado, in California, in Oregon, in Washington, in Alaska. These are lessons that can be learned. These are real lessons. Um, some of them will be applicable to Vermont. Some of them will not. But by studying the industry, by seeing the problems and how they've been dealt with is going to be the best way to have a realistic expectation of one's experience here in Vermont in the industry. And I mean, this has been really cool, man. Like I, I'm, I'm stoked to, to have you on the show. I mean, like when, when we met in Montpelier, I mean, we both looked at each other like, we're like, all right, I got you. I got you. Uh, where could people find out more about what you're doing with the Vermont cannabis solutions, find out more about you, Plug it up, man. I'm not real good at self-promotion or plugs. I'll say uh, the website, www.vermontcannabissolutions.com. Um, it's my first attempt at a website, so take it easy on me. But it's got a lot of contact information, talks a lot about um, what we're trying to do here in Vermont. Um, other than that, um, tfair at bwvlaw.com. Shoot me an email. Happy to chat with anyone, anytime. <laughs> Dude, I really, again, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll be sitting in these chairs, you know, chatting in a, in a few months when, when uh, you know, legalization is getting close, man. I appreciate it again. I certainly hope so, TG. I appreciate it, my man. You can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur.com podcast in the podcast section of Gontrepreneur.com and in the Apple iTunes store. On the Gontrepreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news and cannabis jobs updated daily along with transcripts of this podcast. You can also download the Gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. This episode was engineered by Trim Media House. I've been your host, T.G. Brandfold. Gontrepreneur.